to the girls. You will be taught that your voice is white noise, that your thoughts are just dreams, that your dreams are just fantasies unrealistic. You will be taught that your opinions are just irrelevant, that your needs are just suggestions, that your suggestions are just words meaningless. You will be taught that happiness is fleeting, that your joy is just a feeling, that your feelings are just emotions, unimportant. You will be taught that your body is sinful, that your desires are just prayers, that your prayers are just cries, unanswered. You will be taught to quiet your voice, to be seen, never heard, to be grateful for what you do have, and to never ask for anything else. You will be taught to love, to understand, to fear, to shrink. You will be taught to shame and to be shamed. To the girls, I want to teach you to be loud, to shatter dishes, to sing bird songs in the park, to kick dirt between your toes. I want you to be known, to fight for the life you want, to enter the ring when you've been wronged for your knuckles, to form small blisters, reminding you of your winning battle. I want you to know that you deserve love, that you deserve an abundance of love without having to work so damn hard for it. You deserve warm coffee brought to you in bed, to taste soft cupcakes with frosting without guilt, to have someone bathe the parts of your back that you can't reach, then later brush out your knots before kissing you goodnight. You deserve sweet dreams. I want unconditional love to be a phrase that you can comprehend. I want you to look in the mirror and embrace yourself with the grace of wearing your Sunday dress or your mom's lipstick gently applied like a whisper. That grace you so often give to yourself, I want to teach you not to fear anyone or yourself, to not be afraid of the shadows, to sleep with the windows open, to ride that bike down the hill by your friend's house, hair down and your hands off the brakes. I want to teach you to accept, not hate. I want to teach you that your tears are brave, that being sensitive is not an insult. To the girls, I love you. I want to teach you how to love yourselves, too. This poem was created and read by this week's guest, Samantha Nagel, who's a coach that focuses on empowering others to come to their version of their highest selves, She's a life coach and an intersectional feminist who lives in Albuquerque, New Mexico with her dog, Nora. She enjoys working with clients to find their alignment in whatever way they feel free called to, and I think you'll really enjoy getting to know her in this conversation. Uh, I think her story of how she got into coaching is really quite interesting, and I really appreciate her honesty in, in sharing uh, 
the full cycle of, I guess, like what it means to to teach other people uh, meditation and then coming to this point in time where you also have to be practicing that at a certain level yourself. So thank you so much for being here, Samantha, and also for sharing your poem. Enjoy this week's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Archives for Aliens, a podcast recorded for future life on Earth, planet Earth, consciousness, creativity, the nature of reality, cool people making things, and life outside the box. What makes you tick? Ooh, that's beautiful. I see, it looks like a tree to me, the sun's at the top. And there's like the tree, um, I don't know, stem. And then the branches have fallen off and the leaves are laying down. And um, I think that's kind of representative of the death and rebirth cycle. And makes me think of winter time. Um, and I think that will relate to what I share about reality and um, maybe the cyclical nature of reality versus the linear. What do you believe about the nature of reality? Ooh, such a good question to start with. Um, so this is something I've really been working on. So when I saw that was a question, I felt really excited to talk about it. And I'm actually going to read something from A Course in Miracles that I came across this weekend. Um, and it's tied into how I'm going to answer. Um, and it's on page 138 of my book. I don't know how that translates to everyone. Um, but it says, wrong perception is the wish that things be as they are not. The reality of everything is totally harmless because total harmlessness is the condition of reality. It is also the condition of your awareness of its reality. You do not have to seek reality. It will seek you and find you when you meet its conditions. Its conditions are part of what is. And this part is up to you. The rest is of itself. You need do so little because your little part is so powerful that it will bring the whole to you. Um, and what really sticks out to me in that is you do not have to seek reality. It will seek you basically when you're ready. And so that really makes me think of that emotional labor and kind of mental gymnastics that we really do when we're mulling over something or looking at a situation. And that kind of teaches me at least that maybe the right thing to do is kind of come up and Kind of stop doing that mental work and stop trying to seek reality because it will find you when you meet its conditions. Um, I think reality is both linear and not linear. I think when we're human beings placed on earth, our time kind of becomes linear. But if we kind of zoom up from that spiritual perspective, time becomes a little less linear and more cyclical. And um, I think of the show, The Good Place, when they draw out how time looks, and it's just a big squiggle. Um, so it is linear, but it's not. 
And I believe that perception is our reality. So uh, there is no universal reality. There's my reality, there's your reality, and it could be intertwined and it could not be, and we can change our reality because we can change our perception. Um, and I think we also think it's much more complex and hard to understand, but maybe it's more simple and we're just asking the wrong questions. I really like that part about how reality will come to find you. Yeah, I do too. It's, it's so beautiful that I just kept thinking I'm asking the wrong questions, trying to seek it out. And it, oh, it's like that Harry Potter movie when um, they look for the door. Like if you really want to look for the door, you can't find it. But whenever you're ready, the door will present itself to you. And it makes me think of that. I love that. That definitely happens to me all the time. Can you tell us a little bit more about how this relates to the work that you do? Sure. Um, so I'm a coach currently. Um, my background is in psychology and assessments and research. Um, but right now I'm working more in the coaching side. And I'm so I call everything empowered spirituality because I... I think there's a lot of like gurus and books and people who know everything and programs that know everything and that does us more harm than good sometimes. It's not really a service to have someone else tell you what is in alignment for you because everyone's different. Um, and so when I think of empowered spirituality, I think of individual alignment and everyone coming into their own alignment. So. Um, I guess my goal is to help people do that. And that could be through coaching, but it also could be through just the meditations um, and helping people tune into themselves and what they already innately know, but has been kind of covered up by other people and programming and society. I really like that. No, I totally agree. That's That's always been one of my things that kind of made me go less into coaching or so I thought was that idea of some you know some somebody or something or some organization or body of rules yeah telling telling me what to do yeah and I don't think that's bad either like I don't think there's anything wrong with reading books and and knowing things and learning things and going to church if that's what resonates with you but uh, all about finding what feels good to you not what someone else tells you you have to do yeah totally no I totally agree and like some people do almost I, f I feel like some people need that yeah structure some people don't yeah structure is a good word and it's yeah. hard to start from scratch without knowing anything and having any guidance or anyone tell you anything so it's nice to have that structure like you said that's true. It's like, it's a really good place to start. Yeah, yeah. Or stay if it's working. Yeah, absolutely. Who, who are your biggest influences or mentors? Yeah, I have quite a bit. Um, I think 
a person who really got me into the spirituality, um, or not me personally, but her work is uh, amazing. It's based on the Course in Miracles too. It's Gabrielle Bernstein. Um, she kind of introduced me to this world. Um, my own therapist is also really amazing. And every session I, I always learn from her. Um, and going from Gabby Bernstein to reading The Course in Miracles myself and kind of getting that in-depth look. Um, and then you interviewed her on the podcast, um, Ellen Gilbert, who's a self-love coach or a divine feminine coach now. Um, I look up to her and I just think she's so wonderful. Um, and I'm also in a couple 12-step programs. Um, one of them is Adult Children of Alcoholics. Um, and the program is just so beautiful and spiritual. And it's all about um, connecting with your higher power of your own choosing is the words they use. Um, and then two more. Um, I really love Rachel Hollis. I know there's some controversy around her, but I think generally she has a lot of good um, I don't know who I, she is. Can you what? Can, I don't know who she is. Can do you mind summarizing that? Oh sure. And, like, um, your she, view on the controversy. I'm sorry. What? Do you mind summarizing like who she is, what she does, and then like the controversy? Oh sure. Um, so she's a motivational speaker and a blogger and an author, and I think maybe a coach as well. I'm not sure if that's what she calls herself, but basically, um. She has a podcast, and she wrote Girls, Girl, Wash Your Face and Girls Stop Apologizing. And I think her general message is very good. It's, it started with moms and just empowering kind of the traditional gender roles of women as mothers and having to stay in the home and be with the children, which is fine. Um, but she kind of advocates for women having whatever role they want, kind of like the empowered spirituality stuff, like having your own empowered view of yourself. Um, but the controversy with her is that some people say she's um, less optimistic and more maybe toxically positive or has some toxic positivity stuff going on. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I really enjoy her, but I definitely understand that She's not everyone's cup of tea. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I think it's really important to be able to get something out of somebody that you can also fully disagree with. Yes. Yeah, and that's part of discerning what's for you and what's not for you. And you don't have to dislike a whole person or dislike all their works to say, I like this and I don't like this. And I think that's really important. Yeah. Yeah, no, thank you for explaining that. Oh, yeah, thank you. I hope I did a good job. <laughs> I'm also really interested in the 12-step program. Oh, yeah. Um, Is there anything I can share with you? or you have any I don't know. Well, one thing I've noticed, and maybe you can tell me a little bit more about this, is because I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I've definitely noticed that some of the most grounded people – I've heard ever talking on podcasts seem to have all gone through the 12-step program. So I'm just like, what is this? And should we all be going through this in our own way? Oh, interesting. 
that's a good question. Oh, I can actually, if you want to know what the 12 steps are for this program, I can tell you if you want. Oh, are there different versions? There are. They're all kind of the same, though. Um, there's, I think it's all based off AA, which is Alcoholics Anonymous. And they, I think it's Bill Wilson um, created the 12 steps. Mm-hmm. And then I think from that, like Narcotics Anonymous and Cocaine's Anonymous, Cocaine, Cocaine Anonymous. And then there became like Overeaters Anonymous and Sex and Love Addiction Anonymous. Um, and then there's Al-Anon, which is for um, spouses of alcoholics. And that's oh. almost identical to AA. Um, it's different because you're not the one drinking. And then the one that I'm in is adult children of alcoholics. So it's what it sounds like um, for people who either came from a dysfunctional home or a home with um, addiction, um, kind of going through the 12 steps of nurturing your inner child, which is really cool. I've never um, seen an organized program that's all about the inner child and working through dysfunction. So it's really cool and really spiritual. And again, not for everyone, but really. Well, I know I'm interested in how people seem to really support each other like yeah. within the within the groups for a long time too not just like a year like years yeah I know some people have been in the program for like 20 30 40 years which is beautiful huh. I haven't been alive for that long <laughs> yeah I know so I mean I guess that's one of my questions is just like like so you you know since you've been doing it do you think that having the people there to support you has been the biggest part or is it something really important and unique that you guys are are doing in the process? Hmm. I think both. Um, There's something so healing about hearing other people say the really shameful things or things that you think are shameful that you've thought and felt and seeing other people say it so freely and then watching everyone else react to that and just being like, yeah, me too. (laughs) It just normalizes those things that felt so shameful in my own head. Um, And having that um, kind of like reparenting experience. It feels like we're all reparenting ourselves, but also helping reparent each other um and then i think the steps are really important too they really build on each other in a way that helps lead you to your higher power and look into the past and really help you find your higher self i think it's for me it's been really healing and does everyone go through the steps on a different timeline yeah, um, I was in a meeting recently and someone said they were on step two and it, they've been working on it for four years. And some people wow. go through it in a year, some people take 10 years. It's just about what resonates with them. And then once you get to step 12, you definitely start over. Like you're never really done. Interesting. Yeah, it's really that. neat. So once you get to step 12 and you've like completed a cycle of it, do you like go back through it at a 
a different level? Ooh. I think so, but I'm not there yet. Okay. <laughs> so I'm not completely sure. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just really interested, intrigued. Oh, yeah. And it's really nice now because there, I think there are some in person now, but the one I go to is on Zoom. I get to be in my jammies oh. <laughs> with plenty of my friends. <laughs> Do you think that that's maybe helped people actually like come to meetings more? Ooh, I think so. I think I struggle with social anxiety. Um, and it's scary to like come into a room of strangers and talk about your traumas or your addictions. But if you can do it in, at your own comfort level and at your home, I think, I would think that would really encourage a lot of people. Yeah. And then I guess you don't have to, to get there. It's kind of just easier for your schedule, too. Yeah. Hmm. And there's like a safety level where you really can leave at any moment. That's true. You can just close your computer. <laughs> Or you have to kind of run. <laughs> so, uh, w- when did you begin your 12 steps? Mm, um, so, I started them. I joined Al Anon first about four years ago, and I was kind of working through the steps then, and I got to step five. Um, and then I took a break, and then I joined ACA. And I just finished step one. Okay. Yeah. And it took me about four months to do step one. That's really nice that they just let you fully process it. It's like the opposite of school. Yeah, it is the opposite of school. (laughs) Or like a really cool class. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that being a part of this has influenced, um, like, the way that you work as a coach? Yes, I think so. Um, in ACA, especially, it's reiterated not to give advice and not to fix. Um, so one of the things they explicitly say is if you see someone crying you don't text or chat them and ask if they're okay. You just let them cry. You just let them do their thing. And you can't crosstalk. So you can't, in your share, you can't reference someone else's. Hmm. Um, and they say that because people tend to be quite codependent in that meeting. And so our instant reaction is to downplay ourselves and fix and fix and like try and make sure someone's okay and try and handle their feelings. And that's really impacted all parts of my life where I'm really just a witness. And that's also all someone really wants you to be. Um, Because I've had people try and fix me and micromanage my feelings. And it doesn't feel good. It feels, I don't know, it just doesn't feel good to me. And so just being there and watching someone cry or holding space for someone to feel um, is just so healing in coaching, in meetings, but also in friendships and relationships. So. 
Yeah. No, people definitely do that in life. Yeah. I've always thought and that's so... Not... Oh, no. Sorry. It, oh, it's just, it's so weird how, I mean, even I do it. I, I shouldn't say like, oh, people do it. We all do it, I'm sure. But it's like, you think you're trying to help somebody else. But really what you're doing is you're trying to like soothe that inside of you because it's hard to see people hurting, but it's not actually helping the person that's hurting. Yes. And what you're telling them is you crying or you not being okay is making me uncomfortable and I want you to stop. Yes, exactly. And what a good point that it's something we don't want to see that because it reminds us of something and we'd be more comfortable if they were sick and they stopped being that way. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a beautiful concept. It is a beautiful concept, and it's hard. It's hard to embody and remember, especially in, I think in coaching, it's easier because there is that dynamic. But even in relationships, it can be hard because I really care about my people that I'm in relationship with, and it is hard to see people suffer. And I like to make people I love not suffer. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they have to. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. Like, it's easy, you know, when I don't know people well, but the closer the closer I am to you, the more it's really hard to, to let go of that. Yes. It's very true. Yes. And it's, it's me saying, I think I know what's best for you. And that's just not true. Because I don't know what's, I think we each have our own purpose and journey of why we're here and why we're feeling what we're feeling. And if I think I know best, that is totally taking away that person's autonomy in their journey. Yeah. So um, when you're working with clients, do you have a certain type of person that you really enjoy working with? Or a certain person that just naturally, like, comes straight to you? Um, I think the people I'm drawn to are people who are willing, or not willing, but ready, maybe, to put in the work. Um, and this isn't a judgment of anyone, of course. Um... But I think, I don't want to make a generalization, so I'll just talk about myself. When I first started doing this really kind of intense soul-searching and shadow work and healing, um, I resisted a lot at first, um, and I wasn't ready for it, and it just didn't align with me to do, like, jump all in where I am now. Um, And so I think I'm drawn to people who have kind of opened the door and they are ready to take that jump for that leap of faith. Yeah, no, that makes sense. There's like different timelines on everyone's journey. Yeah, and there are definitely people who are meant to help those people open the door or help them get ready to take the leap, but I don't know if that's that's me right now. Mm-hmm. What what caused you to really start your soul searching journey? Ooh. That's a really wonderful question. Um, 
I think as a young child, I was always very spiritual or emotional. So I kind of started on its own. <laughs> uh, I feel like it kind of more started on its own and um, I caught up is kind of what it feels like. Um, I think I'm a very emotional person, very sensitive, and my emotions can be really big and expansive. So it kind of forces me to look at them. And I spend some time trying to make those emotions go away and fix them. Um, so yeah, just like I tried to do with other people for a while, fixing them, I was trying to fix myself, saying that that was wrong. Um, And then uh, I think maybe two years ago is when I really took that fixing energy and turned it inward to be more of a integration standpoint. Yeah, so to answer your question all the time, but two years ago. <laughs> mm -hmm. Was there a moment or an experience that was like the final straw? Ooh, this is interesting you ask this. In the 12-step program, I'm just thinking about bottoms. Um, and I don't know how I feel about the concept of a bottom um, all the time. So that kind of implies that there's a top or like, like in that linear thing. Um, but I think I'm thinking of a bottom as the final straw. Um, I think we know the bottom is kind of an AA when you crash your car after you've been drinking, like that's your bottom or whatever it is. Um, and I remember what I think was my final straw with my anxiety was, and it's not a big deal, but it just felt like that culmination of so much pain. Um, I was with my partner and we were going to go to see his family. Uh, we were gonna drive there and it was gonna be a surprise party for his friends. And there were gonna be family, this was before COVID. <laughs> there was gonna be family and friends and strangers, um, all things that make me very anxious. And I just remember breaking down in the shower and I kept crying, I was having a panic attack and I just didn't wanna go and I didn't know why. And it sounds silly because it was just about a party, but that was the final straw because I felt like I couldn't live the life that I wanted. Like I couldn't, I couldn't go to something so simple as a surprise party without breaking down. Um, and that really created the catalyst for me to look at my whole life and how I had been muting myself or withdrawing because of my anxiety. Um, but yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> I think, I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense and it does seem like sometimes in life we try to like make things about being big or small, but you know, it's all about how it relates to you and it's, it's so internal. Yeah. So I, I, I think it's yeah. important that you share that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I think 
And that's something I hear other people do all the time. This wasn't a big deal or this isn't a big deal compared to other people, but it is a big deal. If it's a big deal, it's a big deal. Or maybe there is no big and there is no small. Um, it's different for everyone. And we have that natural tendency to compare and kind of monitor what we're seeing. So thank you for pointing that out. I, I definitely downplayed that when I told you. Yeah, and I mean, I think, to, I mean, it does sound like a big deal if you're the kind of person that would want to be going to the party. Like, if you were just naturally really happy, you know, hanging yeah. out with your books all the time and you're just happy like that, then maybe it wouldn't be as big of a deal. But if you actually want to go to the party and, like, there's this part of you that's not letting you, that totally yeah. sounds like a big deal to me. Yeah, it's inhibiting joy and love and connection. And that's a big deal. Yeah. yeah. And so, like, during this time, I know you're also a meditation teacher. Were you meditating during this time, or did all the meditation and coaching, all this all came together? Um, are you saying, was I meditating for myself? Yeah. Or was oh, I Oh, for yourself. Meditation? For myself? No. Nope. I was not practicing what I was preaching. Not preaching, but I was not doing the things that I was telling other people to do. <laughs> oh, wait, wait. So you you were actually teaching meditation, but you weren't practicing it? Yes. Okay. Yes. Thanks for being honest. Yeah. <laughs> it happens sometimes. <laughs> totally happens. Yes. Um, it's so interesting. Easy. Like meditation is so healing and it will help you. And then I'm like, what should I do? <laughs> I don't know what to do. And the answer is so obvious. Were you uh, doing guided meditations back then yes. too? I was not um, for a podcast, but in my personal life for other people I was. Well, I listened to um, the last episode that you recorded on your podcast, um, and I, I think they're all guided meditations. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah, they're guided meditation and journaling. It they are, It is really relaxing. I will tell everybody out there. I'm always just, like, amazed <laughs> by meditation, visualization, and hypnosis recordings, just, like, people's voices. That's an art. Oh, thank you. That makes me feel really nice. Yeah, you're really good. Thank you. Thank you. That's so nice to hear. I've never really tried recording one. Ooh, it's, you forget that people are going to listen. <laughs> Just you alone. <laughs> I don't know if I can speak in a relaxing way for that long of a time. Oh, that's true. I'm, I feel like I'm almost like the opposite side of the meditation energy, like when it comes to like working on yourself and all those kinds of things. I'm more like yeah. pumping in the energy. Cool. That's valuable too. No, it is cool. I mean, it would be a challenge to see if I could like get that into something. It wouldn't be a meditation recording, but it could be something. Maybe a visualization would be probably be better or like an affirmation or something yeah something to get someone pumped yeah that sounds really cool yeah Ooh. and who said that it has to be calming too 
Just because other people are. No, that's true. Ooh. Yeah. Well, I think you may have given me a challenge here. Yay. (laughs) So, I guess let's go back to this idea of, so you were teaching meditation, making meditation recordings. Uh, At what point did you begin practicing that for yourself? Mm. Mm. Well, it's funny, I used to. um, I used to meditate a lot as a kid, too. Um, I would find a YouTube video and listen to it. Um, And my dad had these hypnosis tapes that his therapist had given him, and I would take them and, like, listen to them on my free time. (laughs) So I feel like I was born to meditate. Um, But then kind of early college, um, I really got swept up in the hustle and the go, 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 and like the productivity and you have to be productive all the time. And so meditation just didn't really fit with that. Um, And even as I left college and entered the workforce, I still put a lot of pressure on myself to really go, go, go. And it was easy to teach meditation. It was easy easy to lead those things. Um, But I think I really came back to it After I had that breakdown in the shower, um, it was obvious that something had to change. And I remembered that relationship I had had with meditation and with myself. And I think that was something really clear to me was that I didn't have a good relationship with myself anymore. And I was constantly filling kind of that hole, because you need yourself. You need to hold yourself, and you need to be there for yourself. Um, I wasn't doing that, and that's probably why I was so anxious. And so I started really small. I just would. I started with a fit, uh, my Fitbit watch as the thing and as a circle, and when the circle expands, you breathe in, and when it goes down, you breathe out. So I started with that, and that was only two minutes. And then I went up to five minutes um, and I stayed there for a really long time. And I think really with COVID and the pandemic and working with home, working with, working from home, um, I had the time, you know, there is no excuse that I don't have time. Uh, so I really, that's when I really dove into my And, um, so right now, what, how would you describe what you're doing with meditation? Is it like a group setting, one-on-one? Like how, how do you best share what you know? Yeah. Um, so right now I do a weekly circle on Sundays. Um, it's through Meetup, but sometimes I'll share it on Instagram as well if, it, if there's not going to be a lot of talking because I don't want to share someone else talking. Um, I think the group setting is what I'm comfortable with. It's what I started with. Um, it's what's enforced to me with doing my 12 step program. Um, but I also, I would say that the podcast meditations are almost one-on-one. Um, 
that doesn't have that collective energy feeling. Um, but then one-on-one -on -one meditations as well. Um, those would come up more during a session that feel when it feels appropriate, I guess. Mm -hmm. Like if a person were to say that they're having a hard time connecting to their body or to their inner child or something, then doing a, a little guided meditation together would be really helpful. And I think that doesn't happen all the time. So I think it happens more and more consistently. Do you have any other rituals or practices that are really important for your well-being? I'm sorry, did you say virtual practices? Rituals or, or practices. Oh, rituals. Virtual practices. Um. <laughs> <laughs> like, I turned on my computer. <laughs> oh, yeah, now um. we're all going to have virtual practices. I know, we all do. Um, rituals are so cool. Um, I do something with the new and full moon almost every time. And then I have a morning ritual. But evening rituals, I have a really hard time with. I, for some reason, am really rebelling against having an evening ritual. I need to be better at that. Or I want to be better. What's the strangest wellness practice or concept that you've ever tried? Ooh. Hmm. Or most unique, most surprising. Most surprising. Ooh, okay. Um, I don't know why I'm drawing a blank. I guess this isn't that strange. It's okay. But I, um, I had a wheat grass shot once. And it was so nasty. But I took it every day for a month, and it's not that strange. I think people do that all the time. I don't but know. But it was strange that I did it so much when it tasted so bad, and I hated it so much. Yeah, I mean, you really stuck through. <laughs> but I don't think that's that weird. <laughs> It, I, I just think it's interesting to hear about all the different things that people test out. Oh, yeah. What what else? Oh, one time, um, I mean, I didn't do it for wellness, but I was in this pond. And you know those fish that people pay to bite their toes? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you can't. What are these? The way I said that sounds like you pay the fish. <laughs> Unfortunately, they don't get a cut. Um, I think it's a, like a spa treatment that people put their feet in a bucket of water and these little fish nibble at your dead skin. Is this, I've heard of leeches, people having leeches suck. What? This is a really old treatment. They used to be super popular. Oh. Yeah. No. no, I know. No. Yeah, and I've heard of bees. I've heard of people uh, paying to be stung by bees. What does that do for you? I I don't remember. It cures you. Makes you live forever, of course. Um, I'm signing up. <laughs> yeah, I, really, I don't remember. I, I have a 
hunch that it maybe had something to do with like stimulating your immune system or something. Oh. It was really creepy, to be honest. <laughs> That's so interesting. Oh my gosh, so my thing does not seem that weird now. Well, no one's brought any of these up on the the podcast yet. Oh, not yet. I just have a like a little hobby of <laughs> looking into them. <laughs> have you ever done these things? Have you ever done something weird like that? No. What's weird unusual. I'm trying to think what's the weirdest one I've ever done. I don't know. I mean, I haven't even really done anything that. Sh- I I I went to a you know kind of an out there chiropractor. Oh. By out there, I mean it wasn't like it wasn't a very physical chiropractor. It was like oh, interesting. Yeah, it was more I guess what would be closer to like energy healing. Oh, kind of like Reiki. It seemed like Reiki. I've never actually had Reiki though. Interesting. So cool. Well, I will try the B thing, and then I'll let you know. No, don't try it. It It looked really wrong. (laughs) Do not try this at home. (laughs) I I, I I think there was something wrong about it. I sensed in the advertisement. Yeah, Yeah, it doesn't seem like intuitively a good idea. Right, yeah. But I don't know. Check it out, everyone. Check it out with your own <laughs> your own mind. I'll go back and let you know. <laughs> yeah. I do. I think there's a really interesting intersection with wellness, spirituality, and consumerism. Yes. Yes. What, what have you learned about this territory? Um, I really learned a lot from Ellen Gilbert. Talks a lot about internalized capitalism, which I think is really interesting. But we're always being sold something, and we're um. I was debating whether or not I should say this, but there's like Goop that sells all their wellness products and capitalizes off of people just wanting to fix themselves and there's like the aesthetically pleasing realm of self-care where if you buy face masks and the perfect $20 bath bomb that you'll have the perfect bath and that you're practicing self-care um and all that stuff is good like I love a bath and I like bath bombs but we're just sold so many things and just because it's more expensive doesn't mean it's better and you might not even need it in the first place Mm -hmm. especially with um like uh, i guess programs or there's always something that you could purchase that would make your life better quote unquote what's the best free thing that you think that everyone out there listening can do for their own wellness? Ooh. Hmm. I can think of three things off the top of my head. And the first is nothing. (laughs) To just sit and do nothing. Um, The second would be to be outside in nature. And the third would be to turn off your phone or computer or tablet. 
That is a great answer. That's very clever. I like the order, too. In no particular order. <laughs> and so I also know that you're a poet. Can we talk about that for a little bit? Sure. Um, I've been writing poetry for also when I was a child. And I did recently self-publish a book. So that was really exciting. I had this pressure to wait until I could be published through a publisher or something, not on my own. But then I was like, I'm a poet and I like writing and I want to be published, so I'm going to be self-published. So that was really exciting. Um, my poetry for me feels really spiritual and it really feels to me that sometimes I just have the urge to take out my phone or take out a pad and just start writing and then something comes through that feels beautiful and feels true and sometimes there are things that I just can't express without expressing it in that um, poetic free form. Yeah. Oh, I totally understand what you're saying. Yeah. I personally believe that creativity is like the core of well-being and to me, I think it's yeah. a form of spirituality. I totally think it's a form of spirituality. And I was thinking about this recently. We're told, it's kind of going back to consumerism and always wanting to buy something. We're told that our creativity has to be tangible. Like it has to be painting or a poem or something that you can read and hold and see and touch but and that's true that is definitely creative then also this conversation is creative yeah. and a new moon ritual is creative and um having a nourishing friendship is creative you're creating safe space you're always creating and going back to reality you're creating your reality at all times and I think tapping into that creative energy isn't just about producing something tangible. It's about creating your life. Really, it's about creating your happiness and your safety and love. I think creativity is in all of us. And sometimes people say, I'm not a creative person. What they mean is I'm not good at painting or writing or music. But everyone's a creative person. It's just whether you acknowledge that you're creative. Yeah, I mean, I think that you can be creative in the way that you brush your teeth. It's it's such a mindset. Yes. Yes. In the way that you dress, in the way that you do your hair. Yeah. You're being creative all the time. Yeah. The way that you answer your emails. The way that you clean your room. Yeah. The way that you organize. Yes. Oh, I think that's such a good and exciting thing to, like an intention to hold throughout the day is how am I going to create this and how am I going to be creative in this moment? Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. Now, the part that I like about it is that there's an openness to it. Like you don't know what's going to happen because you get to choose in that moment 
what you want to bring to it? Yes. Yes. I remember reading and hearing that you create your own reality and being so skeptical, mm-hmm. especially when you're really deep in the trenches of depression and grief and anxiety. It's like, yeah, I would love to create my own reality. <laughs> I would love to not be anxious. It sounds so simple when people say that, and it can make me really mad if I'm in a bad or not bad, but just like in those trenches. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is true that what you kind of similar to the law of attraction, I guess, what you focus on attracts more of that. And it's the perception. Uh, it's that verse I read in the Course in Miracles that only your perception can be wrong, I think is mind blowing. <laughs> yeah. It, that that phrase it's an interesting one um do you listen have you listened to neville goddard neville goddard no i haven't he, he's a guy who has a bunch of lectures that are now mm. online they're on youtube and whatnot um he says a bunch of things like that and sometimes quotes can be taken out of a whole lecture and I've always thought that phrases like that, they can be so dangerous. Because it's like, if you just say it like that, like, oh, you just create your own reality. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> it's yeah. like, it's a weird thing. It's so much truth to it, but it's like, you also can't just say that. At least, I think so. Yeah. I think when I said there was controversy around Rachel Hollis, I think that's why, too. Because um, she'll say... If you want to be happy, then be happy. And people will take that kind of out of Mm -hmm. context. And that alone is very condescending and blaming. Mm -hmm. And you're right. You need that whole context and setup and arc and closing for it to all make sense, which is not really an issue we dealt with pre-mass and social media. Yeah. Yeah. And then some... Some public figures, like, transmute the message better than others. For sure. (laughs) Some of them definitely do it in a really unhealthy, condescending way. Yes. Yes. Or an uninformed way. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Definitely. And it's easy because they can, if someone is uninformed about those things, or talking in a condescending way, they can spread it out so easily. People can spread misinformation very easily now yeah and that's i find that so interesting that you can spread misinformation that's actually true because like the words spread misinformation that's true what do you mean like the words can be true like sometimes i hear people saying things and the words that they're saying like a lot of it is true but it's the way that they're saying it that's so wrong and leaving out like a hundred things that it becomes untrue because they, they package it down and summarize it so much to where it becomes untrue. Yes. That is such a beautiful way to say it. Yes. The way they're creating it or the intentions behind yeah. it aren't really aligned with the message that they're giving or trying to give. Yeah. It's such a weird thing um, being connected to all this information. Now, I think we all have to really be constantly sorting out truth 
Yes. 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 I I really love Gabby Bernstein and she was what brought me into spirituality. So I'm not criticizing her in any way. Um, I think she's done a lot of good for a lot of people, but she does take this really dense, huge book of, of Course in Miracles and she condenses it into very small lectures comparatively. And it's, ooh, I'm gonna have a hard time articulating this. So you can have misinformation from the truth or like a false way to spread the truth, even if what you're saying is true. And then you have a true way of spreading real information. And then the way that some people will receive it and internalize it is not what you meant. Mm -hmm. it. I guess it's not that complex. No, it is. <laughs> it took my brain. I think it is. And then there's also people out there who have like half total truth and half total nonsense. And I like those people too. <laughs> yes. But then it was yeah, the nonsense yeah, yeah, yeah. with the truth. You can kind of get them skewed sometimes or crossed over in the yes. wrong spots. Because no one's right all the time. And that's the hard part about finding that one person that you follow or read or listen mm -hmm. to because they're going to have wrong things that don't resonate with you. Maybe not even. Yeah. But it's hard because maybe you like half of what they're saying. Yeah. I mean, personally, I I just really like listening to people that go on rants. And, like, if their <laughs> energy is in the rant, um, because I kind of enjoy the art mm. of it. Mm. Yeah. I'm just like, you're yeah. channeling something. Like, half of this is really out there, and I have no idea what you're talking about. But this is, like, a story now. <laughs> Yeah, it's the creativity. Yeah, exactly. You can be very creative in how you you share spiritual messages and important messages yeah. for society. Yeah. Which, it, I mean, I, I think it would be cool if we just kind of celebrated that in a way. Ooh, what do you well, mean? Well, I mean, I think if we could somehow celebrate it as being being more of an art, then we would know that it's not always literal yes yes yeah we like things to be literal black and white right and wrong good or bad true mm -hmm. or untrue and i just don't think that's how i don't think that's reality yeah and what's the title of your book oh um it's empowered I like it. Yeah, thank you. Definitely a theme. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> how long? Yeah. How long did it take you to? Or what? Actually, I don't care about how long it took you. Well, what was the process like in in creating Empowered? Um, in creating the, no, the book. Oh, the book. Sorry. Um, I. It's kind of funny. Um. So I had this collection of poems on a Google Drive and I was really sitting on them, kind of waiting for that perfect publisher. And then I realized that was kind of from my ego. Um, and then I decided the same day that I published it, <laughs> that I was gonna publish it, um, which was kind of crazy. But the 
process of kind of making it and writing it and compiling it was um, kind of just doing whatever, whenever that poem kind of came up or I felt called to write it, I would write it probably by hand. Um, I write a lot in the back. <laughs> Um, and then I'd put it in a Google Doc and put it in the Google Drive. Um, and then I ended up taking a class with Sierra DeMolder, who is a poet. And she's beautiful. I really love her. She also hosts um, Just Break Up Podcast. If you haven't heard of it, it's really good. Um, and she kind of taught the class how to put together a collection and how to piece them together so they kind of have a theme. Um, so I just used that and I had this little theme and then I made a rash <laughs> decision and I published it. <laughs> I like that when you were writing the poems, like you were just writing them, they were just coming out of you. And then you're kind of like, I'll figure out how to put them together later. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that makes me think too that I have always had a hard time more in the past than now, but I've had a hard time speaking my truth and being authentic. Um, and I think everyone deals with that, but also women too, especially. We shape shift and present different parts of ourselves to different people so that we can get approval and validation. Um, but with poems, I just didn't really think about it. it kind of was this free flow of non-reserved or non-edited work not thinking of how it fits into a greater collection until later I definitely like applaud your vulnerability there oh, for real you. because I know being a visual well especially being an abstract artist in general I know I'm not doing it on purpose to hide behind the abstraction but it definitely can cover up whatever I'm trying to communicate for sure yeah it's like it's such a barrier to like I could be creating something that means one thing to me well no one's ever really gonna know Ooh. interesting are you saying that that's that you're hiding part of yourself by doing that I'm not doing it deliberately I just think in very abstract terms, but it, I, when I mm. see somebody who doesn't, it just makes me honor it, like, even that much more. Oh, very interesting. Yeah. That's so interesting you say that, because I have the kind of opposite view. I'm looking at your art in the background, and it's so beautiful. And I, when I do create tangible artwork, um, like paintings or drawings, I get so wrapped up in if it looks how, like if I'm drawing an orange, it needs to look like the orange I'm drawing. Like I mm. get so wrapped up in the perfection almost. But your paintings are so fluid and creative, like they came from this beautiful part of your mind. That, like I just, I feel like I can see into the way that you think. Mm. No, that's really cool. Yeah, it's so beautiful that we can honor how the other works. Yeah. No, and when I when I write, I'm much more self-conscious about my writing. For sure, yeah. I'm not really self-conscious at all about my paintings. It's weird. I don't really even feel like 
Like I, the observing eye, is making them? Ooh. You're channeling it almost, it sounds like. Yeah, I get Or just like the... I mean, it sounds kind of cool. I wish I were. <laughs> maybe once maybe once in a while there's a channeling, but it, it's probably more of like my unconscious and like Ooh. those parts of your brain that are just so detached from the ego that they don't communicate or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Ooh. I know that it's your podcast, so if I'm not allowed to ask questions, that's okay. You can. People but... do that all the time, actually. I'm just curious what I've really been thinking about my own ego recently and you just mentioned it but I'm just curious what what the ego means to you if you don't mind answering that's a good question I think to me the way it like comes into my life is like when I'm feeling any kind of embarrassment or possible like anything that could be injured in that way or like hurt or judged yeah it's kind of when I know Ooh. it's around yeah that makes sense because that is how detriment would be how other people are viewing you it seems like yeah yeah interesting I think that's I all recently I heard that the ego isn't bad and I think mm. we're definitely taught, especially with entry level kind of spiritual stuff, that ego bad, like, prepare yourself for whatever good. But it's not that. And that's confusing. And I, but I think it's about integrating the ego. Yeah. Instead of shaming it. Because that's kind of what the ego can do sometimes, is it picks up on shame and then it gives shame inward and outward. So if we shame the ego, that's not much better. Yes, this is the best, seriously. <laughs> I think more people need to know this. Uh, and I did, I had an experience, like, when I first started getting more into spirituality and, like, self-development type stuff, I think I had, like, stored my ego away so far that then I just started getting injured by the outside world because I do think, like... If we were all functioning in a world where we mostly didn't have our egos, then you would be safe. But if you're functioning yeah. in a world where so many people are still competing and judging constantly and you're like that one person that's just like this fragile yeah. little flower, you're going to get stomped on. Mm. Yeah. Unfortunately. Hopefully not. Didn't mean not to sound negative, but there's a practical application, I think. Yeah, and I, I know Carl Jung has said this about the shadow self, but I, I think he said this about the ego as well. That we can't get rid of it. We have it for a reason. Mm -hmm. It's not about getting rid of it. And you're right. Protection and identity is not bad. There's yeah. a reason we were born as humans, and the ego is very human. Yeah, it is. This is this is reminding me, I, and I think I use the ego sometimes to get me to do tasks that I really don't want to do because I'll be embarrassed by other people if I don't do the thing. Mm. Great use, personally. Yeah. How, 
How do you think that maybe you you use the ego? Ooh. That's so interesting. I think I think values. I I hmm. I think our higher self or our aligned self has certain core values. But I think the ego like the healthy ego is about identity and protection and almost boundaries too. Mm. And so I think if you can, hmm, it's almost like the ego kind of helps you intellectualize maybe more than the higher self does. I don't know. I'm kind of throwing that out there. I don't know. Um, but I think, yeah, I think value system is definitely an identity thing. And we need to be reminded of what we value and don't value. Yeah. I think boundaries, too, that's a really good point to bring up. Because if you have no ego, you almost, by definition, have no boundaries, in a way. Yeah, Maybe. right, because I think The Quartz and Miracles, too, talks about the... We all are se- we all separate ourselves, and that's bad, and that there's oneness, and that there's unity, and that's good. But that's also can be codependency if you go too far. <laughs> and yeah. so you do need that ego to say, "This is me, and that's you. I'm not going to fix you. I'm not going to feel too much of your pain. I'll just witness it for you." I feel like the ego can help keep us in ourselves and keep other people in their selves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think it's all about, like, flipping back and forth between all these different useful perspectives and, like, teaching yourself yeah. when to flip on what perspective. Ooh. Somehow. Yes. Yeah, and never, never taking one as more truthful or more right than the other one, because they all feel like, for me, at least, it's always something's usually more right for different parts of my life. So tapping into the ego for a time in my life, but then kind of coming back out, but kind of checking in. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I just got this visual of being like a security monitor at some big building and I'm like sitting in the security guard chair with like 10 different computers. And it's like, you kind of got to keep an eye on all of them. Yeah. Like, you kind of also don't. You can also just not watch them all. <laughs> but then sometimes you're going to need to, like, tune in further to check in on one. Maybe maybe there's a rat that's on your screen, or maybe it's a burglar. <laughs> you don't know. Um, oh, I love that perspective. It, it is zooming out to see all the parts and then zooming in on a certain part when you need to. Yeah. Because if you just focus on the lobby... There could be a burglar on the third floor that you never know about. Yeah. But if you if you're able to zoom out, you know where to zoom in. I love that image. I really, really love that. Yeah, I think my favorite part about it too is that you're it's also like just your job and you don't have to also be obsessive over all of the screens. You can just be hanging out there drinking your coffee. <laughs> yes. Witnessing. Yeah. Ooh. I love the way your brain works. <laughs> I, I like imagery. 
Me too. Me too. I'm a big analogy person. Can't really think. Especially with things like reality and perception and ego. It's hard to think about unless you can visualize it. At least for me. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think these things definitely come out of, like, conversations. Like, this is a collaborative formation of a thing. Yes. Creative. Yeah. I mean, that's why it's it's so cool that I get to do this and chat with people about theoretical... All things theoretical. I don't even know how to summarize it. I know. I wish everyone interacted like this all the time. I know. There's a part of me that does wish that, like, everyone had a podcast, but then there's a big part of me that's like, no. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be a lot of podcasts. (laughs) Right. But but it is, I think, like, the act of having a long-form conversation is kind of unfortunately like a dying thing in today's attention economy yeah yes especially in a conversation that's in-depth and vulnerable and true and silly even Mm -hmm. because we always I'm really trying to say I'm trying not to use good and bad although I'm not doing a good job (laughs) but like if someone asks me if I'm how I'm doing, I just say I'm good. How are you? And we just skim the surface of everyone. I wish, and we all have this really beautiful, vast knowledge and intuition and experiences that we'll never know about people that we only skim the surface of. Yeah. No, I know. I'm. I'm. I'm really hoping to be able to you know, use, I guess, what I'm learning from having this podcast and just getting to know people in general. Next time I run into somebody, well, that could be a little bit, but when the world is a little more, a little more like its usual self. Yeah. Next time you're six feet away from someone. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, even I'm thinking about it now, we don't, like our society doesn't have any spaces or activities that really promote this kind of communication. Mm. What do you mean? Oh, uh, well, it seems like it used to be kind of like a coffee shop type thing where like people would go to a coffee shop and just kind of go hang out and meet people and get deep into conversations. Um, like artists, writers, intellectuals would just kind of like gather there. Yeah. And, you know, people don't really generally talk to each other anymore. Yeah. Or if we do, we have our headphones on and we're looking at our phone. Yeah. I mean, I'm one of them too, for sure. I've always got my headphones (laughs) on. And I do it so people don't talk to me. I was uh, I was at the dog park and someone was saying, wanted to talk to me. And I remember my first reaction was, Ugh, I have my headphones on. <laughs> like, that means I don't want to talk to you. But then I had the most wonderful conversation that I never would have had. And the person was so nice. And I really, it really showed me that what I was listening to or being quiet, like I can be quiet 
in my house where I'm at most of the time. I don't know. I just, I want to challenge myself to be more open to connecting with Because I think that's why, that's part of why we're here is to connect with each other. Yeah. Definitely. Do you have any dream projects coming up? Not coming up, but the dream project I have in mind would be some kind of cool wilderness. I don't know. The word retreat sounds so like, I don't know, consumer-y. Goopy, <laughs> but for lack of a better word, I guess retreat or like workshop or I don't know where we just go in the wild and we hike and we camp, but we also talk about our feelings and we're disconnected from phones. I don't know. That's just like kind of a lead space, a held space to find ourselves and connect with others. That's kind of my dream project. I love it. And that definitely sounds like one of those rare spaces where you could have a really awesome connection with someone. Yes, and it wouldn't be expensive. There's so many like retreats that are so much money and you pay so much. <laughs> so I would, that the dream goal is that it would be free or like close to free. Wow. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, I think hopefully it'll happen someday. I think all the listeners and myself will all be putting out good vibes for that one. That sounds great. Yeah, and we're going to get stung by bees, actually. <laughs> <laughs> no, <too>. no, we're <laughs> taking no liability on this one. <laughs> and leeches. <laughs> that one's so That's weird, good. I might just have to try it. I know. Well, come to my wilderness retreat. <laughs> That'd be a good ad. Where it's free to get stung by bees. <laughs> Just kidding. I don't want to do that. <laughs> I don't want to manifest that. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time you. today and jumping thank on you. here. No, this was so much fun. Thank you so much. So you're in charge of giving everybody a challenge for the week. Yes. Oh. You're ready. You can go for um, it. I'm ready. Okay. The challenge is to, uh, like, first here is to turn off your phone slash computer slash tablet for a day. But if that's not feasible, um, set a time limit. Like if your screen time is currently at four hours, set it in half. Or that I can only be on my phone for an hour today. But the 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 top notch goal is to have it turned off for a whole day. But I know that can be challenging. Yeah, I, I think so. you can do that though. I think for one Sorry? day. I think everyone can do that for one day unless they work every day by someone right. else's rules on a phone right which could be 
Otherwise, and I guess if that's the case, maybe deleting social media apps from your phone or something. Yeah, that's a good idea. Some way you can disconnect more than you're connecting right from technology. So do you feel like we missed anything? Is there anything, any other gaps you kind of want to fill in or touch upon? No, I don't think so. I think we definitely covered everything from bees to the ego to meditation to coaching. <laughs> Wonderful. Talked about it all. Yeah. I, okay. Cool. I like that you really like think about that one. That's good. So, if anyone wants to connect with you over the internet and maybe even work with you um, with meditation or coaching, how how can everyone find you? Yeah. Um, I think maybe the easiest way would be Instagram, even though I just told people to delete social media off their phones, maybe before you do that. <laughs> um, but my Instagram is at empowered.spirituality. Um, from there, you can easily find all the links. Um, and it's also called Empowered Spirituality on all the places that you should be able to listen to podcasts. You want to do the guided meditations. Um, and then the website is empoweredspirituality.online if you want to work with me. Amazing. Thank you. And we'll have all the links to that in the description for this episode. Okay. Okay, good. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, this was another adventure, everyone. And I will talk to you guys again next week for more Archives for Aliens. Bye.